podcast about Beowulf. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here this week to talk about Robert Zemeckis's uh, beautiful fusion of live action and animation and book adaptation. That's right, Robert Zemeckis's Polar Express. Polar Express. I was gonna say Beowulf, but uh, I know. You, we did this bit the first time, and I made it Polar Express again. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's, hi, everybody. Welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your faves, uh, the problematic podcast about your faves, I guess. Um, so this is uh, we had our first uh, podcast milestone of a lost episode, which I'm going to put a bunch of like reverb and shit on me uh, on me there. Maybe even like a burp that I but yeah, due to uh, some technical errors beyond our control. Um, we lost our first take uh, of a Roger Rabbit episode, but you know what? That's fine because our because guest, our is... wonderful guest, Michael Duquette, yeah. has agreed to come back. <laughs> and also, congratulations on being our very first Intuit Pod Cryptid. I'm so, I'm so excited to be uh, your first repeat guest that was never there in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we'll just make a bunch of references to like the really good jokes and stuff that we lost. Uh, Last time, like the sprinkler bit. Remember the sprinkler bit? No, because that implies that when <laughs> we finish recording these episodes, my brain doesn't just immediately wipe and forget everything that was said. <laughs> yeah, so does so does mine, but that doesn't mean I know but bits two minutes into the show. <laughs> no bits about it. All bits. <laughs> all bits all the time. That's what happens when you marry a comedian, baby. <laughs> Should have said ifs, ands, or bits. <laughs> hey, I did make him do his vows first because I refused to have him yes and my vows. <laughs> that is That is 100% true. true. That is not a bit. I believe it. Because I, I knew the exact spots, too. As I was listening to your vows, I knew the spots where I could have chimed in with something or could have uh, made reference to them uh, in, in my half. But... Uh, I, I respected your wishes as my beloved wife. We, uh, my fiance and I have watched a lot in quarantine on uh, Disney Plus. They have a very foolish show called uh, Disney Fairy Tale Weddings. Ah, uh, yes. It's just like an hour at a time of of the most photogenic Disney insane people doing weddings or proposals. And um, one of the big things is you see a lot of dudes cry and. My fiance is very interested in the idea because I'm a very emotional person. I imagine myself crying, but we, we've sort of played around with the idea of, well, what if I don't? Like, what if for whatever reason I'm able to keep it together? <laughs> sure. I don't think Brandon cried. I don't. I don't remember Brandon crying. No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't cry. There, there were definitely people in our uh, audience who cried. Is oh, audience yeah. is not the correct word. I don't believe. <laughs> That makes it sound like they were attending our $50,000 one-man show. <laughs> you were talking about the perils of being married to a comedian, so... <laughs> that, yeah, That is much. very true. I did write eight original songs for our wedding. <laughs> that that Disney wedding show is buck wild, dude. They're, it is nuts. They're a lot. They're all... Every person who agrees to be on that show is a lot, and like, look... We we are open open Disney fans here, you know. Sure. We will we like Disney as much as the next person, but 
not like that. No. Yeah, there, there is, there's, there are Disney people. Disney, yeah, Disney people are just the horse girls of adults, and it's unsettling. Right. It's just I, like there's, I don't know, I, I don't understand people who liking Disney is their personality, like their, their interests is a replacement for a personality which is like an ironic thing to say about this show but um or on this show <laughs> but in a different way you all know exactly what i'm talking about every single person oh, listening to this show you know exactly who i'm talking about in your well, life and what makes it great is that it's it's the people that you know past like the the casting test like there are plenty of people who you know have replicas of the carousel of progress in their home that, you know, their applications went to another pile. Yeah. (laughs) How'd you know what's in my office? Well, as it turns out. (laughs) Hey, you did write an entire play just because you couldn't write the wheel. You couldn't write the carousel of progress. You wrote an entire play about it. (laughs) That's true. Have I ever talked about that on the show? Oh God. I don't know. It's been three years, but I'd love to not talk about it right now. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of, 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 of fun Disney things that aren't also like hugely emotionally exhausting and uh, cost a, a ton of money and make your entire family follow you to Florida, um, we're here today to talk about who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, but we do got to do things we're into this week. Even oh, no, I know. Thing. I just wasn't sure if we ever properly said it. No, I don't think we did, but I mean, I'm assuming people looked at the episode title. Yeah. See, this is what happens when when we when we lose an episode. It's now like we've just moved straight into into it pod after dark. Right. We have See, here's the other problem. I can't remember what my Intuit thing was, except that I suspect that it was me explaining about why I'm going to get really upset about Perry Mason in like 6 weeks. Oh, it hella hella was. <laughs> Because I got to, I got to make my my patented point that uh, the new Perry Mason is very good, but that dude is dead ass playing Columbo. Right, Matthew Reese. We also have the the the. I remember on our first taping, we we explained the the wacky circumstance of how I even came to be on this podcast in the first place, which is that we previously, oh, yeah. until uh, the age of coronavirus, uh, we didn't know each other from Adam, but we've all. Um, kind of schlepped into a, well, Brandon and I have schlepped into a, a raucous uh, friend group discord where we've all, we've all bonded immensely. And yeah, with, um, with, with multiple past and future guests of the show. Right. Well, and, and it's the funny thing in, in, in as I, I mentioned in uh, preparing for this, I realized that there were a run of three pr- prior guests who all of whom I happen to know, but didn't know that you know them, which of course are uh, my good friend Frankie Starker. Um, I believe Correct. it was, I'm trying to remember the correct order. It was um, uh, Lydia Hensler, comedian. And then, uh, and then my friend Kevin Church uh, was talking about Star Trek. We did Star Trek. And it's just amazing because those are people I know in various bizarre ways. Lydia, I know because I went to uh, college with her sister and for a fitful 10 hour period, uh, my fiance and I attempted to uh, dog sit for her. It did not go as intended. Unfortunately, oh no! <laughs> but <laughs> her dog is great. What happened? I, you know, I just I think it's like I uh, we were really trying to pilot it as all right, maybe we'll get a dog. And I I have never owned a pet really, um, so I guess oh. I was just I, I I dove into the deep end of the pool and uh, you know it was fine. You know, I mean the dog wasn't hurt, which is what's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a great way to start. 
And not right. <laughs> and 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 neither ultimately was I. All three of those episodes, or at least Frankie's original one and those other two, were taped when we uh, brought all our equipment with us back to New York. Also for our wedding, right. uh, the week of our wedding, we. We didn't do a podcast at the wedding, but we brought the equipment with us and we did a bunch of tapings with our friends in New York because uh, we had already moved to L.A. by the time we started this. So that's kind of how all those episodes happened. Yeah. In in the five days before our wedding, we also did five podcasts. That is impressive. Yeah. Anyway, so the things we were into this week, I suppose I should redo uh, what I was uh, what I did last time. Otherwise, this isn't going to make sense to some people. But. Basically, uh, I really enjoyed the new Perry Mason. It's now finished, which it wasn't before. uh, So I can now say I've watched the whole series and I still think it was good. Uh, And I think it was a solid, solid, well acted, super well done thing. But um, we also have taped an episode about cats that will be coming out at a later date. But uh, the boys started talking about Perry Mason during the cats episode and i got mad because i was like no now i can't use it for my thing next week but um i forgot that that episode wasn't going up chronologically so uh you know you can keep an ear out for when i'm really stupid in a few weeks (laughs) how the sausage is made but yeah i really enjoyed the new perry mason on hbo yeah it's 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 good and i'm 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 maybe having a cop share renaissance go on well, you've just never, ever been into cop shows. Um, I mean, all cop shows are copaganda. I am aware of that. But I do enjoy a good procedural because you don't have to pay attention to it. Oh, totally. The The only cop show I've, I've, I've ever gotten into was uh, Reno 911, which is still one of my favorite shows. Yeah. And did I start a new free Quibi account for it? Yes, I did. <laughs> you did. But yeah, we talked about this with Hooks when, uh, when we did the Law & Order episode. But like, that's my favorite thing about a... About a procedural is that like you can tune out for like 20 to 40 minutes and come back in and be like, oh, I know what's happening. I get it. I know. Oh, what yeah. And like I'll be I'll be watching these episodes like intently while she's on her phone. And then I'll be like, wait, hold on. What what does this mean? What does this like legal thing mean? What just happened? She's like, oh, I don't know. I wouldn't pay attention. Though, though speaking of all cops are bad. One hour ago, Golden State killer sentenced to life without possibility of parole. Fuck. Yes. Goodbye to this man. Fuck yeah. Looks like he'll be gone in the dark. Whoa. Yeah. Absolutely. That was also a phenomenal documentary. That series, which was also on HBO, was was phenomenal and really did a lot to respect the work that Michelle McNamara did. Yeah, that that whole story is – I don't know much about the Golden State Killer, but I know a lot about Patton Oswalt. Um and like that whole story sounds fascinating and sad, and uh, I, I do I do want to watch it. It just seemed a little too a little too bleak. ATM. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's a bummer. The stuff about Michelle is, but it is really kind of a celebration of how this man would never have been caught had it not been for her work. Oh, cool. So, you know. So hey, look. Now I did two things. I'm into Brandon. Your turn. Woo. Yeah. Um, so uh, this week I am into I honest to God can't remember what I what I talked about uh, when we lost the episode. I only remembered because it was specifically about the thing <laughs> yeah. that I did the week before. Um, but this week I am into uh, an EP called Tourist Season. Uh, it's by a woman named Miel, M-I-E-L, who is uh the she was the she's the co-host and now full host of uh the podcast Pump Up the Jam. 
uh, which she formerly hosted with uh, Demi Adijuibe. Um and she just released like a uh, like low key uh, synth heavy breakup album, and it's really really good. She has when they when she was doing Punch Up the Jam with Demi, she was she was always sort of like hesitant to talk about her kind of prior music career and like hesitant to even start a new one. Um, but over the last year, she. Uh, uh, Demi left the show and she had a breakup or or something. That's sort of the like public story of the album. Um, but she moved to New York and uh, made this really good EP of these kind of like wistful, sad yet also danceful, da- danceable, danceful, um, <laughs> danceful. Yes, yeah, so gonna gonna get me a Smucker's danceful, <laughs> a Smucker's undanceable. Um, <laughs> But it's uh, it's it's really good. Um, yeah, it, it that's I don't have much to say about it aside from you know the production's real great, the songs are good. Um, Her voice is great. It's it's just it's a great it's a great EP all around. Uh, I've also enjoyed it. She has a phenomenal voice. The tourist season actually r- reminds me a lot of another one of my favorite tracks of the summer, which I'll I'll plug now too. Uh, which is a song called Summer Blessing uh, by Fluorescent Half Dome. Ah, uh, yes. From the album Cool Trash Magazine Has Your Diary! Exclamation point. Uh, which has a very similar pr- production vibe and similar kind of like ethereal, airy vocals. Um, but Summer Blessing uh, by Fluorescent Half Dome has one of my favorite uh, chorus lines in a long time. Which is, so it stands to reason, summer was never my season, which, uh, if you've ever seen me, <laughs> you'll know I, 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 I burn very easily and uh, don't particularly love uh, the sky fire. So it, it's, it's, it's nice to hear a song for once that's not, hey, summer fucking rules. The heat is great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we're talking tourist season by Miel. And Cool Trash Magazine has your diary by Fluorescent Half Dome, which also has a very delightful puppet-filled music video. Oh, it's really good. Duquette, what about you? Um, well, first, I, I just want to say, um, just in proof that our uh, our Discord is secretly running the, the, the world, or the cultural world, that uh, if you are a listener of Punch Up the Jam, uh, the podcast art was created by friend of our Discord, Kendra Wells. Oh, it was? Yeah. It's uh, oh wow! I, d- I didn't know that. It's truly truly astounding how we're all connected within the great circle of life. Yeah, really. I I, I was talking to Frankie the other day about how like th- all the people on the on that uh, on that chat could like cure death if we thought it would be a funny enough bit. <laughs> hey, that's how you got that's how you got Gatorade fudge coming in the mail. Oh, I do have thick Gatorade thick coming Gatorade. in the mail. <laughs> thick Gatorade is on its way to me. Y'all are terrible. Uh, yeah, another another Discord person, uh, the artist Shingyun Core, is uh, <laughs> went on this insane uh, vision quest uh, Twitter photo essay uh, where they invented thick Gatorade. Uh, which turns out is just Gatorade fudge, and it's apparently gross as hell, but uh, they decided that they were going to send me some because I was so excited about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I am nothing if not a, a, a chaos eater uh, uh, in, of, that, uh, of that 
type of the fuck it. I'll I'll eat uh, the kinkiest Oreo flavors you can throw at me. I'll uh, <laughs> I've been a, a big proponent of inventing Baja Blast uh, Cheetos puffs. So like, yeah, I am so stoked that there is thick Gatorade coming to our house. It's it's the school of this sucks. Try this. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Every time I see something in the grocery store, I'm like, ugh, what? It immediately goes in my cart. I know. If I'm ever there by myself and I see a Pop-Tart flavor that just really upsets me, I buy it for him. Same with Oreos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I ate a uh, family-sized sleeve of lemon Oreos in far fewer days than is acceptable. Those were pretty good, though. They, they they did fuck pretty hard. They weren't as good as as our 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 late lamented lemon tates. Oh, yeah. So we got we got distracted. Duquette, what what is your thing for the week? So my thing for the week, I'm gonna talk uh, obviously with uh, talking about Rod Rabbit. We are gonna touch on one of my favorite uh, passions that is publicly on the internet. But I'm gonna talk about my other one, uh, perhaps my first and greatest passion. Um, specific, in general, the concept of box sets in music, uh, we are getting to the point where uh, the major music labels are announcing for the holiday gift guide season all the you know deluxe, B-sided, bonus tracked, remixed, uh, collectible versions of albums and career overviews. And the one that I want to specifically shout out that got announced today after many years of, of rumor is one of my favorite records, uh, the 1989 release, The Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears, the follow-up to the Songs from the Big Chair record, which is going to be reissued in like a four-CD Blu-ray box set. Uh, Steve Wilson of Porcupine Tree is doing like a surround sound remix of the record. going to be a whole bunch of un- unheard demos and B-sides and whatnot. Uh, it's one of my truly one of my favorite records um it's you know if you know everybody wants to rule the world and shout the idea of these two guys doing sort of a uh beatles-esque um prog-ish organic record of like let's just jam for seven minutes and see what happens um and, and do it with real instruments and uh talk about you know late thatcherism and feminism um it's a very, very fascinating concept uh, as a record, and I'm really excited uh, to see it get its due uh, in the form of a $70 box set. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I don't think I knew Shout was Tears for Fears. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In hindsight, it's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some Tears for Fears. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be great. You know, the, the only thing that uh, makes me shed a tear <laughs> when I'm in fear is damn! Oh boy! Oh boy! I saw that one coming. Oh boy! Oh Bordo! We might as well get into it. Uh, Robert Zemeckis's masterpiece, um, which you could actually say about like six of his movies. I often forget that it's Robert Zemeckis, but then like when I think about the fact that it's animation blended with live action, it's absolutely Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> oh yeah. It's the most technically complicated thing you could have done at the time, which means it's, it's just the most Zemeckis-y thing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, Mike Duquette, what is it about Roger Rabbit or who framed Roger Rabbit and it's, you know, various, uh, you know, ephemera that uh, you love so much? I mean, there's so many things about it, but I guess in order to really uh, start, you got to go back to the beginning and not even to. 1985, when Zemeckis uh, 
ends up at the, the top of the Hollywood heap with uh, Back to the Future. And of course, Roger Rabbit was released before there was even a, a another, let alone two more Back to the Future movies. Um, but if you go back to the book upon which the movie is based, which you might have comp- completely passed by at you, uh, but Gary K. Wolf's Who Censored Roger Rabbit, released in 1981. If you've ever read that book, it is amazing to consider that an enterprising group of, of scriptwriters and producers got that book in their hand and said, all right, we're going to make basically Chinatown, but with cartoons. Because Who Censored Roger Rabbit as a book, it is, it is a very much a parody of your kind of Sam Spade detective pulp, but it's set in the present day, you know, the, so the early 80s. And it um, the the conceit is not that Roger Rabbit is a cartoon star, but is a star of a comic strip that uh, he and and Baby Herman are. Uh, you know, he's kind of the second banana to the Baby Herman strip that uh, is you know run in newspapers across the country. And the conceit of you know humans and tunes occupying the same space is when they're when they are uh, shooting their cartoon as they say things, they say their lines, the speech bubbles come out of their mouths. And so you have this sort of a uh, gag that really works uh, in, in the mind's eye, but I don't know what it worked uh, on, on screen of, you know, if a character's angry, the speech bubble comes out of their, their mouth, you know, really fast and it flies past somebody and shatters against the wall. Um, but there's no, there is no, um, you know, no Mickey Mouse, no Bugs Bunny, no the things that, that no period setting. The things that make uh, this movie so wild and entertaining. You know, obviously you have the nut of the idea of oh, what if we put real people in cartoons in the same thing? Um, but th- it takes a real special kind of uh, vision from the entire creative team of that film to make it come to life in the way it did. Oh yeah, because like th- this by by no means was the first time that live action and, and animation had been combined. I mean, that, that goes back to the earliest uh, Walt Disney's Alice comedies. Right. Uh, which uh, comedy is is <laughs> stretching the definition of the word pretty heavily. But uh, it was just that. It was like a, you know, a little, uh, this little girl in a, a cartoony wonderland. Um, but it had never been done, I think, with this level of finesse and care and also like you can just tell that everyone involved loves the fact that this movie is set in old hollywood yes you know it's one of the better you know of its time period pieces and i think part of it is you know you know you can divert so many there's so many diversions on this movie of what is great about it why it works but i think one thing um, that I w- want to say off the bat is is the performances of of the humans, all of which are, with the exception of Christopher Lloyd, who is obviously well known as in Taxi and the first Back to the Future movie. We're not talking marquee actors here. We're not talking Tom Cruise. You have somebody like Bob Hoskins, who n- nobody you know, unless you were you know importing uh, BBC <laughs> dramas, uh, nobody quite knew who he was as a household name, let alone that he could pull off a hard-boiled american accent so well because he had such a such a cockney accent and you know unless you were mainlining uh blade runner <laughs> you, you you weren't Wait, recognizing blade runner well no i'm thinking joanna cassidy who played um doris 
Oh, okay. That so, ma- that makes a lot more sense because right. I was like, wait, are you thinking of Brazil? <laughs> no, but um, yes, but it's, Brazil. It's, <laughs> that fa- that famous children's movie. Um, but yeah, it's just it's you know it's such a you know in in so many ways you know and not to get you know I'm not going to get too. Uh, early 21st century late capitalism about it but it but it, it Do does it, it does Do sort it. of break the Do rule it. book uh, of how you make a blockbuster um in a way that that not many other movies have have tried to do in quite the same way. I mean, besides the 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 obvious fact that you could never get all those cartoon characters in a movie ever again unless Disney owned them all, which I'm sure give them time. But um, right. But just between that and 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 you know, really making it uh, this kind of you know tone story first sort of thing, but also having these these amazing. Uh, and extremely groundbreaking visuals that you know I think kind of played a part in where you know Disney would end up. Go- I mean, you know, at the time Disney's most recent, uh, you know, I think was the Grace, the Great Mouse Detective. You know, I think Oliver and Company would come out the same year, and of course you had the Little Mermaid and all the the the, the, the big the big movies that millennials love. Um, but I think this was the movie that kind of got Disney back in the mix of. Albeit through you know Touchstone, which was a you know outlet for more adult you know non child fare, um, the really, division of Spielberg Co. <laughs> but it really got them you know really got uh, it, it out there. It's like hey you know imagine what we could do with animation. I mean oh yeah this this movie always sort of gets brought up as its own thing, but it, it, you're right it really was the sort of kickoff to that. Uh, golden age or that second golden age of Disney animation Absolutely. that happened with Little Mermaid and, and up through like depending on who you talk to like Lion King or Mulan um, but like yeah it it, it really did it did so like the timing of it was perfect right and of course the thing is it's not you know it's not like the people uh, you know in the animation department at Disney it was a lot of you know animators coming out of England that that were just you know that's where they they ended up filming um but they were using a lot of processes that that would ultimately give a lot more dimension to how animated Disney films worked I mean you you know you the thing you know as a child you watch this movie and go wow it's so cool that you know Eddie Valiant is grabbing Roger Rabbit and you know being thrown around by him because they're they're in the same pair of handcuffs but when you go back and you you know watch how those characters interact with the the real with the real world, um, and the, the lighting and shadow and how you know if you're as I'm sure both of you are uh, a nerd that loves going through DVD or Blu-ray special features, you find out all the insane ways that they manage to make all this stuff look convincing. Of you know oh yeah, I mean that particular scene has my favorite one. Where that when they were shooting it, he accidentally hit the light. Yes. And rather than reshooting the scene, they animated the entire scene to account for a moving light source. And and just and just do that, which is like the much harder solution. Yeah, which is an insane thing to do. <laughs> you know, and it's almost it is kind of like you know, in a way, and of course, Industrial Light and Magic I think was involved with this movie, but it is in a way of you know George Lucas saying I'm going to you know 
make 50 ships fight over a bigger space station uh, and you have to figure that out, go <laughs> with Star yeah. Wars. Um, and it really is kind of that same, that same sort of thing. I mean, you know, you w- watch footage of baby Herman in, in his, uh, in his uh, carriage and it's, you know, it's a gimbal holding a real cigar on kind of a mechanical arm and they just, you know, drew baby Herman over that. And so they had a real, oh, wow. you know, him, him doing this, you know, this character doing this real thing. And I mean, the one I always go back to that really to this day, you know, all these years later, takes my breath away is the, you know, in the Ink and Paint Club when Jessica Rabbit is, is singing her, uh, her version of Why Don't You Do Right? And she walks from, uh, Marvin Acme's table over to Eddie Valiant's table. And there's that sort of weird, like low angle shot, uh, of her walking and it's, and the, the light catches her from behind. And there's, you know, the, between the sequins on the dress and the, the illusion of being backlit, the way it's drawn is just like, how, how, how did this happen? You know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, you know, it's nice. I mean, look, I mean, we all haven't been in a movie theater. I hope we haven't been in a movie theater for quite some time, but you know, a lot of times you do watch, you know, I mean, look, I've seen every Marvel movie in theaters, but it, there's very Nerd. rare points, right? <laughs> but there's very rare points where I'm looking at it and going, how do they do that? I know how they did that. It was on a blue screen. You know, they were looking at this, this mark, you know, they probably weren't all, all even in the same room, but the idea that, you know, and not to get too, uh, you know, uh, old hat about the way it used to be in yeah. Hollywood, you yeah. know, yeah. uh, but, but it's just it's just really am- amazing watching these characters you know especially i mean an actor like bob hoskins who has to figure out okay my scene partner literally doesn't exist and i have to make a convincing mm-hmm. performance for you know an hour and 40 minutes or however much yeah that whole movie was basically an acting exercise for him yeah one one of my favorite things in the uh, DVD extras for Roger Rabbit is there's a there's a scene where uh, it's one of the scenes where he one of the many scenes where he's like choking out Roger and uh, they're outside I for, I forget where it even falls in the movie but it's you see but you see Hoskins uh, holding the uh, when because ra- what they would do when they were shooting is they had these uh, essentially full size dolls of the <laughs> of the tunes that were like green screen green that the actors could hold and interact with. So uh, the lights could react off them like they were in the real world. And so the actors would have something to play off of. Um, And there's a part where Hoskins is just going to town on uh, Roger Rabbit uh, in his full like, "Ah, what are you, what are you doing? You wascally rabbit sort of, sort of, which is not actually what he says, but you know what I mean? Um, in that full cadence, and then you hear Zemeckis go cut, and Hoskins just goes, "All right, was that good then?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, this rules!" Just to you know, it's it's almost like um, I guess how people felt. Uh, I mean, people who weren't Anglophiles felt when they first saw House for the first time, right? Oh yeah. There's a famous, I think, a famous story that you know they were trying to. Uh, you know, the late, uh, you know, died by canceling uh, Brian Singer, uh, who was the producer on that show, um, was they were trying to get, you know, people, uh, you know, casting tapes for people to do house. And 
and he, he really wanted it to be an unknown American. So Hugh Laurie does this this you know cold read in a bathroom somewhere in a hotel, and Singer apparently goes, "See, that's the kind of person I want, like a real unknown American actor." <laughs> Not not knowing at all. All the Stephen Fry fans in the room were suddenly terrified. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no one tell him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, everything about that movie and, you know, again, the, the performances, I mean, we haven't, I mean, we barely, you know, scratched the surface on the great Charlie Fleischer, uh, the voice of Roger and Benny the Cab and... Uh, I believe at least one I didn't of those know he weasels. Was Benny. Yeah, it's funny. I was list- I was watching some, you know, some scenes before we started, um, before we started uh, talking today, and you know the the, the interplay between Roger and Benny uh, of you know obviously I'm sure they were all recorded separately, but the the idea of you know this man having a conversation with himself essentially. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's so it's so interesting how so, how so many of the great voice actors are capable of of doing that like Fleischer does that a ton in in this movie uh Mike Judge was both Beavis and Butthead <laughs> right uh Harry Shearer is both Mr. Burns and Smithers and I'm under the impression that he didn't really record them separately like he just was good enough that that's he amazing effortlessly play a scene off of himself and also not for nothing it's like that like the Rod Rabbit in particular is is in some cases um the Unfortunately, the swan, uh, close to Swan Song, I, I think it's one of Mel Blanc's last uh, go rounds as you know Bugs and Daffy and all the it must have been the great yeah. um, cartoons that he voiced for Warner Brothers. But it's also like I, I believe I think the the late Wayne Alwyn, who was Mickey for most of our childhoods, um, yeah. I think his first might have been Mickey's Christmas Carol, which. You know, you'd probably be forgiven if you don't remember that one as well as as something else. But the idea of okay, wow, here you know, here he is, Michael Mouse himself. <laughs> um, but you know, so Mike of Mouse, right? Oh, oh God. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like it's just really you know, it is a it is a a, a tribute to a really wonderful confluence of events in you know commercial artistic storytelling and you know i say mm-hmm. this a lot um, my favorite um you know my favorite movie of all time is et the extraterrestrial and roger it kind of the falls who? which one the who oh et the extraterrestrial i'm not familiar <laughs> are you doing a bit i was so I scared of no he knows exactly what et is I, I'm, I haven't watched it since i was a kid because et terrifies me i mean terrifies most children but um Half of the things I've said to you are jokes about Botanicus. Yes, I know what E.T. is. I mean, that's a good point. That is a good point. <laughs> E.T.'s wise teacher. Um, I have never actually seen E.T., but I'm familiar with Botanicus. <laughs> um, but anyway, the the idea, um, you know, a very, you know, E.T. and Roger were both very original, wildly successful uh, motion pictures with, you know, heavy on special effects that for whatever reason and i think good reasons never had a sequel um yeah you know and we've you know obviously there was a lot of talk i think you know the early days of, of internet rumor sites would, would be ablaze with uh you know uh, who discovered roger rabbit roger rabbit toon platoon we're gonna do a uh they're all gonna fight in in world war Two. 
Um, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been like just like the opening of Saving Private Ryan, but it's just a bunch of like tunes. Right. That would have been so good. Right. Somewhere Seth Rogen is like is like scratching his neck and he doesn't understand why. Um, (laughs) But but um, he's he's too busy making that Simon Rich adaptation. (laughs) Right. But of course. And, you know, of course, this is my other, uh, you know, Internet forte. Um, I, you know, I run a, uh, a, a wonderful, weird little newsletter called Hollywood and Spine, which is about movie novelizations. And obviously, Who, Who Sent Roger Rabbit was a book before Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a movie. But one of the more bizarre happenstances of the popularity of the Roger Rabbit film was Disney did ask Gary K. Wolf to, and he did write a a sequel novel. Uh, who I'm not going to do the the Roger Rabbit peas, but it was multiple peas who plugged Roger Rabbit. And what is weird is it was his attempt to sort of reconcile the continuity of both the book and the movie. Um, weird. Which mm-hmm. is very strange because, you know, you'd still have the tunes, you know, doing their, their speech bubbles, but it wasn't clear why, because they're not comic strip actors anymore. They're in Toontown with RK Maroon studios and whatnot. And the, cons- the, pl- the plot is, Unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, anachronistic because it would have this real life event would have happened before the time period that Rod Rabbit is set in, and also, you know, in 2020, an eminently problematic uh, plotline is that Maroon Cartoons is going to bankroll a cast of thousands animated and live action adaptation of Gone with the Wind. And Clark oh, Gable boy. and Roger Rabbit are the two in contention for the role. And that that owns that's re- like remove Gone with the Wind because it's a racist piece of trash. Right. But like that is such a good fucking concept. And it's just and it's great because th- that's you know, that's I think it, well, where where would Roger Rabbit have gone beyond that? Well, obviously, OK, well, if we're going to show, you know, showcase old Hollywood, let's not just make it, you know, pastiches of animated hollywood but let's also make it pastiches of of what was actually going on at the time you know the idea of i mean i'm now laughing i'm chuckling in my head imagining you know roger rabbit having to testify before joseph mccarthy (laughs) 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 but um please i'm not a communist (laughs) but but it was all but you know like all you know weird prose adaptations which i hint hint cover in hollywood and spine regularly uh they're there are weird subplots like, you know, Dolor- the Dolores character uh, is written off in one to two pages. Uh, she's just finally had enough of Eddie's, uh, you know, low uh, ways as a private detective and, and leaves him by letter. And so he, he carries on a, a dalliance in the film with Jocelyn, Jessica Rabbit's twin sister, who is an identical twin except she's about one-tenth his size, uh, her size, Jessica's size. So you have a, a, a Jessica rabbit that is, you know, about a foot tall and can fit in a pocket. That is so weird. I love that. And given the, the unfortunately horny implications of Jessica rabbit in the 21st century, um, it's perhaps very, very good that they did not adapt that into uh, a real thing that you could watch. God, yeah, that that the, uh, there have been a few uh, films we've watched recently where there there has been a kiss where both Beth and I have been like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> a- and I, I feel like that would be high on the list of like, oh, God, I don't want to see Bob Hoskins uh, 
kiss a woman that's literally the size of his face. And also anime. But also I do, though? No. Like, yes, please show me that? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna open us up on this, on this show to my least favorite kiss of the year, but, uh, y'all can, y'all can ask me about it on Twitter if you really want to know. And I hated it, and it's controversial. Was, was it Woody and Bo? It was not, but that one, no, because they didn't kiss, we were just really uncomfortable because we thought they were going to. Oh, yeah, I think I maybe even said out loud in the theater, oh god, no. I know. Well, after the movie, we talked to each other and we were like, so we were you. I was really uncomfortable because I thought they were going to kiss. And I don't know why. I just really didn't want that. And you were like, me, too, because <laughs> they put all this weird sexual tension in between the toys like they were going to kiss. And then I was like, don't do it. It's bad. And they didn't do it. And it, but that's not it. That's <laughs> not the kiss. That's not the kiss of the year that just made me want to fucking just throw punches. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. But um, no, I mean, it's just it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that, that Roger lived on in the way that he did in real life, which were a, you know, a, a trilogy of increasingly forgotten animated shorts. And, you know, a couple years where it was like, we're going to put him in the parks just like we put Mickey and Goofy. Yeah, he really like Roger, like burned bright and then faded away very quickly, which I, I think had to do with the fact that uh, Spielberg right. still kind of co-owns the yes. character, so he has to sign off on any Roger Rabbit-related things. Right. He's got, you know, he's got his hands full with the, the Animaniacs, I suppose. That is that is true. They are zany to the max. They which, sure are. Which Ro- Roger was, was like zany to like 75%, but right. not to the max. Right. I, I, I almost don't think I have to ask this, Brandon, but I'm sure you, rem- you might ha- remember either you lived through it or you know seeing it in various youtube recaps afterward the the 20th anniversary celebrations of walt disney world the, it was i believe a surprise party sort of theme and there was a and there was a big parade oh yeah with the giant inflatables um, yeah and a big inflatable roger rabbit wearing like a like a jester's hat yeah, with some like maracas or something. Yeah, it was just, and it, and I believe there were—I don't know if it was McDonald's or Burger King or whatnot—but I believe there were like you know little toy replicas of you know in in a children's fast food meal. And it's really funny to, to go, like go back and think, okay, yeah, Mickey, Donald, uh, and also uh, this guy. You know this 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 weirdo, right? Mickey, Donald, and this pervert. Well, and that's almost the charm. I was literally about to say this pervert. But that is almost the charm of of, of Disney itself. I mean, I, I think when Disney Plus was announced and they did that sort of massive, here's everything that's going to be on it. It's like, you know, okay, like, where's Condor Man, you know? Like, just all, right. all the, like, weird deep cut, you know. Anybody can talk about Herbie the Love Bug, but I want to fucking talk about, you know. The, Herbie Goes to Monica. Right. Or the Bride of Boogity, you know? <laughs> Oh, I forgot there was a Mr. Boogity sequel. Sure was. Did you take the Boogity Challenge? <laughs> I can't say that I did. The Boogity, the Boogity Challenge was uh, an attempt to, uh, like a large-scale Twitter attempt to try to fuck with uh, Disney Plus's algorithms when it first launched. <laughs> By having every single person have Mr. Boogity be like the first thing they watched. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, miss, that was the idea. Um, it it did not wind up affecting the algorithm whatsoever. 
no. but it was fun for the people involved. Of course. Another thing I do want to uh, I do want to touch on really quick that we talked about in the first episode, if only because I then um, very distinctly made the episode art for this based on it, <laughs> is that uh, the first time we were talking about how creepy the book cover is, and I went and I looked up the, uh, yes. the poster for the movie, and. Also, this has now come up because Brandon, I swear to God, since we taped this the first time, Brandon has several times been like, man, I just can't stop thinking about what you said about uh, on the cover of on the poster of the movie that that's just that's just Bob Hoskins just holding a steering wheel prop and nothing else is on screen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the whole rest of it is animated. <laughs> And there's these amazing promo photos, my favorite of which I have used for the episode art of of Bob Hoskins doing like like a presentation like at the end of a child's tap dance. Jazz with, hands. With yeah. Roger and and like jazz hands with Roger and and Jessica in it with him. And all I can think is that man is in that photo by himself. And I it delighted me to no end, and that's why it became the episode art. The 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 one that delights me the most is the one where he's in the cab. So he's just sit, probably just sitting on a chair, holding a, a steering wheel in front of like a glamour shots background. Well, because you can tell the steering wheel is real. That's what I said. You can tell the the steering wheel is real, but the cab is right. not. There's, I think, there's also kind of a trend, like. You know, I mean, I don't think it was as much of a media blitz to get sort of those pictures out there. But like, I think of a year later when Warner Brothers hired Herb Ritz, the you know famous fashion photographer, to you know do the world exclusive on the first photos of Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson as Batman and the Joker. And so there's just these mm-hmm. wonderful, like you know, it's like in a studio somewhere with a with a you know single color backdrop, and you know it's like you know Jack hamming it up, and like there's I mean at least there's at least one where where like you know Jack's got the the cane and he's sort of doing a ridiculous pose, and Batman is is holding is like got his arms folded across his chest, holding like a grappling gun, and the look on his face is almost like, can you believe this guy? You know, not like this is my mortal enemy and the, the greatest psychological foe I've ever. It's like it's you know it's it's the the councilman and his wacky pal. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I just I became delighted. Much similar to like, especially since I started actually working in in Hollywood or production. Sometimes I'll just get into this like really surreal like meta state of mind while I'll be watching something and I'll just think too much about how that was actually accomplished, um, right. which is how this came about with this poster thing too. I looked at it and I thought about it just too much for like three seconds that I was just like, he's just sitting there holding a steering wheel. There ain't nothing else in that screen. Well, <laughs> like, and I think, I think what, what, what touched off this discussion in the first place was talking about the, the cover covers. The book of cover. The, the book, yeah. That are kind of creepy. Go, like go get, go to, to God's cursed Google image search right now, listeners and there's there's one the hardcover book which has Gary K Wolf I think they both might have Gary K Wolf on it but the 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 hardcover of the book you know he's he's in the trench coat he's in full Eddie Valiant mode and and seen from behind is a brown furred Roger Rabbit um and then the the pa- the mass market paperback is is far worse where they just sort of whatever uh, he's really more of a hare than a rabbit in the uh yeah and it uh, the 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 paperback version of of who sent roger rabbit roger looks like the animal equivalent of a ransom note where like yeah it's bad pieced together from various other pieces he's got like the the like yellow pants and blue suspenders 
And there's, of course, a speech bubble above his head because that's that's how that Roger rolled. Um, and again, but, but it's just almost it's a testament to, you know, I mean, they've certainly they certainly talked, you know, in behind the scenes creation of Rod Rabbit of, of we want to hit all these touch points of what is a Tex Avery cartoon, what is a, a Chuck Jones style, what is a Disney style, what is a, uh, you know, M- Max Fleischer. Like they really wanted to, you know, make Rod Rabbit look like a character that if that you could be forgiven, like, you know, like how Watchmen was supposed to be, you know, all these forgotten cartoon uh, comic strip characters. And then they were like, well, let's actually just create analogs for them. So I think they wanted Rod Rabbit for an audience member to be forgiven for thinking, well, wait, wasn't that like, wasn't that character in a bunch of cartoons? And I just forgot them. And because home video barely exists, we've never seen them. (laughs) That was the same question that that Beth asked when we were, uh, watching some of the cartoons she didn't realize that that roger was a new character oh yeah which makes sense because he's the exact midpoint between a disney character and a looney tunes character it's also a testament to the strength of their storytelling that it is hard to put forth a character and without exposition and say right this is just the premise and 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 jump i mean in a way in a way Roger Rabbit Cannon jumps in in media res like they right. just say this is what it is and they make you understand immediately that it's been going on for a while and they make you have that thought of like wait is was this somebody I already knew that that I was supposed to know like it's it's a testament to the storytelling and the strength of the way that they presented all the Roger Rabbit stuff that I thought that <laughs> I believe the term you were looking for is in media Roger <laughs> okay well because because in the wrong hands that could have been Jar Jar Binks like <laughs> Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. And their their voices are not far off. I sh- I, I hesitate to think uh, what what would have happened. That was actually the one thing I noticed when we we watched the shorts. Yes. Uh, before our previous taping, which I hadn't seen in probably twenty years, they're all very good. Um, but like Charles Fleischer's voice as Roger, he's great. But man, you need something to cut it. You really need Eddie Valiant there to cut it. Like, that is a strong character voice that is very overwhelming. Yeah. If you're just hearing that and then occasionally Baby Herman for half an hour. Right. And, and like, the baby <laughs> Baby Herman, not barely even the, you know, the the comedic. Not like, oh, hey, old smoker, Baby Herman. <laughs> right. There was, I, I think the, the you know, because, of course, the Tummy Trouble is the one that everybody remembers because that was on the uh, cassette of um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, and, and is also the one that is like canonically in the film. Right. The other two were kind of um, relegated to the dustbin of history, we might say. Um, I, I believe the story goes that Roller Coaster Rabbit, which was the second one, I think Disney wanted to put it on Dick Tracy as a coming attraction, and I think Spielberg wanted it to be on Arachnophobia, which was uh, mm. I think Disney was uh, you know he was producing that for Hollywood Pictures. And um, so the third one was kind of burned off on a movie that I, I truly don't remember called A Far Off Place. Um, that was Trail Mix Up. But Trail Mix Up is actually my favorite. Thin dream of a far <laughs> off place. Exactly. With Danny DeVito as a little <laughs> mythological guy. As, as a satyr. Um, but, uh, but yeah, don't Trail Mix me. Up. Trail Mix Up has um, some great uh, wordless Frank Welker characters. 
like the, the that little beaver and the bear that shows up like three minutes before the the, the cartoon is over um or just like the visual <laughs> one of my all-time favorite visual gags like ever of when roger and baby herman and the bear and the, the beaver that that they're tr- you know traveling with in the cartoon uh get blasted out of the national park and um, are s- flung headlong screaming into Mount Rushmore, which right before it yeah. explodes starts to scream itself. And what's really great, and I wish I've never seen any continuity photos, and I really wish that I hope they exist somewhere in the Disney archives, is that you can see before the the model of of the screaming Mount Rushmore explodes. It's not just Mount Rushmore; it's screaming Mount Rushmore. And I would love to see, like, I would love to know the ingenuity that went into building a you know from clay or whatever you know model making equipment the the four our four the four of our founding fathers uh screaming in fright before they get absolutely owned by a cartoon rabbit and his wacky pals <laughs> when trump gets added as he wants to do they'll just, oh, Jesus. that's when they'll make the other four scream right and you know what they're all gonna scream right as they get blown up do you uh kofifi not no, this is this is a joke just for Brandon because you missed it this episode. It hasn't happened once. A man. Ah, yes. <laughs> that was going to be the next thing I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up the Toontown sequence. Who is yeah? Who is gonna? Who, who is gonna? Who the race to who was gonna name check Lena Hyena first? <laughs> she has a name. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know she has a name. I think oh, she. So says I guess it. it's you. I think she says it briefly. Like when she goes, I'm you know what? I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just I'm busy weaver. petting a man in here. Oh, he's so big. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> the podcast is like my favorite part of this episode. Every time, every episode, my favorite part is the cat. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> oh, he's so good. I think the thing I love about the Toontown sequence is that it it's one of the darker chunks of the movie right which like does have that sort of like noir look so it's visually dark but it's not a particularly dark uh story or it doesn't have particularly many dark gags but then there's the part uh about three quarters of the way through where eddie winds up in toontown and just the whole the whole world flips and it goes from from being mostly humans and like one or two tunes to being entirely human entirely tunes and eddie valiant just like suddenly now having to deal with being in a cartoon world and cartoon logic where he's like falling off buildings and getting knocked around and uh droopy dog is an elevator (laughs) operator um but i i really like that scene because it it, well a it reminds me of the video game toonstruck Oh right! Um, mm-hmm. a, another uh, Christopher Lloyd jam, um, but like I, I that I think is one of the stronger testaments to Bob Hoskins acting. Where Zemeckis was like, "All right, you can act against one fake character. Why not fake everything?" Right? Come on, Mister Smee. <laughs> and it's also, and this is like, I, we were talking about this right before we started recording, and you wanted me to name check this. Of course, the second time around, I didn't have time to watch. To rewatch the movie, I don't think I really needed to, but I did spend 40 minutes uh, on Spotify. There is a um, sort of a book and record type thing. It, it was that Disney put out in the 80s that condenses the story into a tight 40 with a sort of hard-boiled detective third-person narration. And one of the things that that is in it that did not make the movie is sort of the 
Jabba the Hutt sequence of Hoover and Roger Rabbit. There is a sequence that right after they leave Roger in the bar, you know, he's, you know, he's going to be held there for safekeeping and uh, Dolores is going to check the probate, not prostate. Um, Mm There's there there's a was a scene that was cut where Eddie goes back to the Ink and Paint Club and sort of ransacks Jessica's dressing room to see if he can finally find that pesky will, and he is caught by Bongo the Gorilla once again, and Bongo knocks him out and he wakes up tied to a chair surrounded by Judge Doom and Jessica Rabbit and the Weasels and. You know, he's reprimanded for sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. And so the Doom asks the weasels to take him downtown. And, of course, he's thrilled. He knows all the, all the cops downtown. And, of course, Christopher Lloyd says, oh, Mr. Valiant, I'm not talking about that downtown. I'm talking about downtown Toontown. And it smash cuts to the, the, the Toon Patrol van. Uh, going into the, the the Back to the Future tunnel that 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 leads to Toontown, so that would be the first time you see it in the movie, and it would I think it would have taken some of the magic out of it that we get that close to Toontown, and basically the next morning, Eddie wakes up unconscious outside of the um, outside of the tunnel with a Toon pig head affixed to his own head, and he's you know of course doing classic Bob Hoskins screaming, and it cuts to him. He is in the shower washing the he takes a bottle of turpentine and gets the the tune head off his head and that's why when Jessica Rabbit walks into his office and he's coming out of the shower that's where that would have gone. Oh, that sequence. And that sequence huh. if you listen to this, you know, sp- the, the story of Who Framed Roger Rabbit audio basically 40 minute audiobook, they actually include that because you know obviously and again this is you know my specialty of how do you adapt uh stories between different um sensory mediums the idea of describing for five minutes what eddie was doing in toontown uh as just voices would have been very boring and probably they also wouldn't have been able to get the rights to you know the bugs bunny voice and the, the other character voices so they really had to rely on you know, sort of different suspensions of of uh, of audi- auditory disbelief. <laughs> I I had a a similar uh, book on tape uh, when I was younger. Only this one was narrated by Roger. Oh, um, which like is very different than like you know a hard boiled detective narration, which makes a little bit more sense. So you've got like Roger explaining all of like someone <laughs> getting dipped or like the oh, fact no. that there was some sort of murder. Like it's it's real funny tr- hearing Roger Rabbit just describe the plot of uh, the movie because in the movie he's more busy with gags. Right, <laughs> right. He does not have to ask who framed him. Exactly. Leaving it to the audience. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the the la- the last thing that we haven't really quite touched on is the uh, Roger Rabbit ride. Ah, yes. Which is Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin at uh disneyland are they taking that out for the new mickey ride though no 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 it's it's staying um the mickey ride's gonna go in city hall 
Okay. Which is going to okay. be redone to look a little bit like a movie theater, I I think. I still have a lot of questions about them putting the Mickey ride in there, though, considering they closed down Toontown at sunset because they need to have uh, that closed for the fireworks and parades. So, like, they're going to open their brand new marquee Mickey Mouse ride in Toontown and then be like, by the way, it closes at 530. Bye. It's going to be a <laughs> three hour wait. Fair. But, I mean, who knows if they'll even be doing fireworks and parades uh then i know but but this was planned before covid so i think the question still stands oh that's fair i'm i'm sure a lot of the backstage area behind like the sort of toontown hollywood hills uh is is uh crew area that is now going to become the show building so i think a lot of that stuff might get moved maybe um because they would be insane to uh you're right open uh a new like like literally groundbreaking attraction uh and also the only like mickey themed ride yeah and then yep. it, like it closes at seven by mickey's yep. philharmagic is over get the fuck out <laughs> which which might as well be called donald's philharmagic actually i don't think it's philharmagic there it's something else the one in the tent um oh in the tent mm. Oh, that's just like Mickey and the magical map or whatever. Oh, that's yeah, some... yeah, yeah. But it is. It's a, it's a show. It's a show is my yeah. point. The Roger Rabbit ride is great. It's but it's also basically just Mr. Toad with a reskin. Right. Essentially, Mr. Toad, if, if they could awkwardly spin, if, if they put a small uh, coffee table in the middle of your Mr. Toad car <laughs> that could spin... That could spin your thing, but also had incredibly tough resistance to it. I don't know about you, uh, Michael Duquette, but uh, I, I don't love to be spun. Um, I don't love to be spun. I don't love to be flipped. I don't love to be, uh, I especially don't love to be barreled roll. Oh, yeah. We spend, a, we spend a lot of time in the Roger Rabbit ride, just like holding on to the middle for dear life to try and keep it from spinning on its own. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yep. Because yeah. uh, I don't know about you. I have thrown up at Disney twice. I have, I've never thrown up. I'm not really an upside down person, as it were. And luckily, I, you know, I've been to uh, Florida uh, far more times than I've been to uh, to Disneyland in Anaheim. But um, the one that Disneyland, or rather Disney Hollywood Studios, has the one that I can tolerate, which is the rock and roller coaster. And I don't know if it's because it's indoors or if it's because I love Aerosmith just that much. <laughs> That's fair. Um, as far as uh, inverted coasters go, that's a pretty uh, – it being in the dark is doing a lot yes. of the sensory thrill work uh, on that thing. We need to now, though, talk briefly <laughs> about the pre-show of that ride featuring an amazing dramatic performance by Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. And, and, and Ken Marino. Yeah, and a young, uh, voiceless Ken Marino as the studio technician. <laughs> I recently found a, a public, I don't know if it was a publicity or behind the scenes photo on my hard drive um, of of the, the band with with a very happy to be there Ken Marino and I was just imagining that this is his uh, other uh, the other people the other two backs character backstory have if you've seen uh, that show which is just hilarious no. oh the other two yeah I was gonna say it, it could very well have been his character from Wet Hot just a little grown up that too. Yeah, no, the other two was on Comedy Central. I think it's now going to be on HBO Max because everything is going there. Yeah, it just I know it just got picked up to move to somebody else. And I heard about it. I just haven't seen it. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. What is it? It's a real it was a really funny show. It's it's about um the 
older siblings um and of, of course, like an instagram influence, he's like right? a bieber type like he like he like gets viral off of like uh, like a song basically that he just elects to sing and molly shannon plays their you know completely nutsoid mother and you know one of them uh one of them rejected a life of uh of ballet dancing and one of them is a you know struggling actor and um my fiance is also an actor and she has very um you know very delicately explained that that the process of you know trying to book roles and you know coming close to you know oh this might work and oh it doesn't work uh apparently is very accurate on uh on that show but it's also just devilishly funny and ken marino plays um i believe streeter is the name of the character uh who is um the like the know nothing manager who is you know using using this poor cherubic preteen as his uh meal ticket to uh, a better life perfect use of ken it marino is, it's like it's the it is the one of the quintessential ken marinos to me he that guy oh my god that all of the state really oh but like that guy in particular is just so so fucking good in everything he's in well you know with with respect to some of the other people uh, from the state who you know have done things like uh, yell at people on Twitter about Bernie Sanders. Um, Wait, which state person was yelling about Bernie Sanders? Is that Michael Ian Black? Uh, wouldn't th- he's been on the Biden train for a little while, I think. But he's also very much one of those like we just need to elect some fucking adults, guys. Come right. on, right? And he also did. A, he also wrote <laughs> a book people. with uh, with Meghan McCain about how Democrats and Republicans can get along. So. Yeah, the mid two thousands were wild. Sure were. <laughs> Um, well, uh, Michael Duquette, are there any other topics in, uh, Roger Rab- Rabalia? Well, Roger I, Rabiana? I guess I'm just, I'm going to put myself out there and just say with, uh, you know, look, it's a big internet. I've, you know, in my twenties and thirties, I've discovered a lot of things about a lot of friends. And I, I think a good friendship is, is about respecting what people appreciate that you don't. But that all being said, I don't get the Jessica Rabbit thing. I'm sorry. Me neither. Me neither. You know? Yeah. Like, God bless you if you do. And, you know, I certainly love, you know, one of my favorite stupid-ass pieces of trivia was, you know, in order to make this, you know, character look just appropriately unsettling, they they sort of reverse en- literally reverse-engineered uh, her body chemistry. So when she stepped forward the way that a human woman's uh, chest would, would move in re- relation to a bodily movement, they actually mm-hmm. animated it in reverse. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm with you on that. I'm not here to yuck someone's yum, no, but like, I don't get not. it either. But yeah. But like, yeah. It's not a judgment. My not getting it is not a judgment right. statement. It's just an I don't get it. Jessica Rabbit is an iconically designed character. She's iconically designed, and I actually, what I do as a as the only woman in this conversation, (laughs) uh, I do get a lot of the she like as a female character is you know much more complex and well written and nuanced and a whole person than she gets credit for. Definitely, Um, I think she's actually a really well written female character considering her specific role because she's not a bimbo she's not yeah i mean and like she has that i that iconic line about like oh i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way but like in its own 
while that line has become like iconic and overused like it is a i think really strong kind of important statement of her saying like yeah i may look like this but like i'm a person like fuck you (laughs) though i am gonna beth i am gonna need you to say that line again but a little more breathy (laughs) no well beth i'm just glad that you said that because it's not only is it a very astute um, read on a character that is very much misunderstood. It also, I think, will give me uh, an aesthetic free pass when I'm inevitably caught in bed with the with the animated girl from Cool World. <laughs> <laughs> or when you eventually get married to Betty Boop. <laughs> wow can you can you imagine being married to Betty Boop? What a lucky wow that must so-and-so. be incredible. What a lucky guy being married to Betty Boop. I mean, Betty Boop's look was based off of a real um, black woman from the 20s. She was a jazz singer. That's true. That that blew my mind when I found that out. Really, it was really uh, when you, when you see you know when you saw when I first saw that it was like really because it looked it, it basically looks like if somebody you know Shrek is a human in Shrek two for uh, Betty Boop. Her name was Esther Jones, and she also was performed as Baby Esther. That name sounds familiar from, like, some early Hollywood knowledge. I just, look, I mentioned her, and I wanted to give her credit, all right? We don't give black women enough credit for the shit that we steal from them. The least I can do is look up her name. Oh, no, ab- absolutely. The, also, the other thing about uh, the whole Jessica Rabbit thing, that, uh, or at least people specifically being horny for Jessica Rabbit, uh, in the, like, fiction of the uh, of the world roger's the horny one <laughs> yeah like like it is implied that roger fucks real good <laughs> yeah he's the you know i'm sure i'm sure the, the it does that's what i said a lot of this movie is just about um you know that roger rabbit fucks as opposed to great muppet caper which is mostly about charles groden trying to like directly fuck yeah. specifically right. fuck miss piggy yeah if i had to guess i would say that that it would be roger's letterhead that w- w- all the hollywood key party invitations in 1947 were written on not jessica's <laughs> <laughs> bring your wives well that's just because it was 1947 and they may have been a progressive couple but let me tell you the woman did not have her own letterhead Right. What do you think? What do you think Jessica's maiden name was? I'm sure there's a canon explanation, but I'm sure there's a canon answer to that for some reason. Just given the time and given the book, I would imagine it would be very ethnic, like very like Polish sounding. Yes. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Like 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 it would probably still start with an R, but it would probably be like Jessica Rat- Radajowski. <laughs> yeah, Radajowski or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I like when you look her up on Wikipedia, it says in universe information species tune human, <laughs> which is just bad. Oh, I hate that. Does that mean uh, Goofy is a tune human dog, but Pluto is just a tune dog? I don't know. Tune human. Oh, no. Good. Thank God. Tune and human are two separate. Don't worry about it. Uh <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's upsetting. Well, Michael Duquette, thank you so much for joining us once again for the first second time. Happy to be here and be there and having been there. <laughs> Happy to have bapped there. If people if uh, people wanted to find more Michael Duquette related content uh, or Hollywood and Spine, uh, on the internet, how could they do that? 
Yeah, we actually, we didn't talk about Hollywood and Spine Up Top, which is like one of the key reasons that you're perfect for this particular episode. Thank you. Yeah, so Hollywood and Spine is a- Aha! Jessica Rabbit's maiden name was Jessica Krupnik. Whoa! Whoa! Krupnik. Krupnik. Huh. Never in a million years would have gotten to Krupnik. No, certainly not. Krupnik makes it sound like, sounds like she was from like Sheep's Head Bay. <laughs> Oh, boy. And earlier, it says an earlier version of the script, which may or may not be canon, gave her maiden name as Krupnik. Wow. Oh. Well, that's like, Duquette, you might know this. Do you know Wilma Flintstone's maiden name? Oh, is it Slaghoople? It is, in fact, Slaghoople, my friend. Put me on your bar trivia team. Everybody knows that one, because her dad is in it. Her dad is Fred's boss. No, 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 no. That's Mr. Slate. Oh, Maybe I've had a fundamental misunderstanding of the Flintstones this whole time, but I did know the answer to that. Yeah, I think I think I think we might just need to go over the Flintstones a little bit once we're off air. I'm good. I think you'd be into it, the Flintstones. I I think we should just let Mike explain what Hollywood and Spine is. <laughs> Leave me alone. Well, no, I think we should also explain that the uh, Flintstones movie is the origin of my crush on Kyle MacLachlan. Um, yeah, so Duquette, <laughs> if people wanted to find more uh, Michael Duquette-related content uh, in Hollywood and Spine, how could they do that? So there's four places you can find me. Uh, Hollywood and Spine is my recurring newsletter about movie novelizations when a film is turned into a book as opposed to the other way around. Uh, Most recently, most recently, actually, there was I wrote a very brief one. Uh, There was a viral tweet, a stolen viral tweet, of course, going around um, purporting a, a portion of an Austin Powers novelization. Okay. And of course, people tag people tag me in that because it's like, oh, you know, hey, you got to cover that one for Hollywood and Spine. And it turns out it was actually a series of of jokes uh, written by uh, a guy named Keaton Patty, who was a, a UCB uh, fella uh, on the East Coast, and he was actually kind enough to answer a couple questions I had about, <laughs> about um, where he came up with the idea to to do six humorous passages of various scenes in the Austin Powers trilogy uh, as if they were in a novelization. But I've, you know, I've done the Back to the Future movies and Love Story, the terrible uh, romantic movie from 1970. I think at some point we're going to end up doing, um, uh, I think I'm going to end up doing The Goonies because it's coming coming up in the fall uh, and that feels like a good fall slash anniversary movie. Um, but yeah, anything, anything that has a, a book adaptation that did not previously exist before the movie, uh, you can find that at tinyletter.com slash Hollywood, A-N-D and spine. You can also find my, uh, increasingly wild opinions on, uh, catalog music box sets, reissues, compilations at the second disc. Uh, that's the T-H-E second disc.com. Um, if you'd like to hear me talk about whatever is on my mind at any given moment, you can follow me on Twitter at Sir Duke with two underscores in between Sir and Duke, D-U-Q-U-E. And if you'd like to see uh, me post pictures of things I like, you can also find me at Sir Duke, but with one underscore. And I will be happy uh, there. I'm also, uh, might as well say it, I'm in the market, um, you know, I'm a... My day job, I am a semi-esteemed catalog music writer, editor, researcher, uh, trivia gatherer. If you know uh, anyone who who needs some paid work on that, uh, I am very much in the market and happy to uh, uh, offer some some references. I uh, got a great opportunity a couple years ago working on uh, 
the career spanning squeeze box uh, by Weird Al Yankovic. Um, got to work with uh, oh, cool. Mr. Yankovic and his team. Um, so I have, you know, I like to think I have a little bit of a track record and, you know, knowing if you need someone who knows way too much about bonus tracks or, um, you know, what charted when and where and how, um, hit me up. <laughs> Hell yeah. Isn't it, isn't it nice to be, to just like have a thing that, people will just send you news about i mean i've had i've had the amazing fortune at many points in my life i mean my first big sort of project with catalog music was the 30th anniversary of ghostbusters so for a while there um and it did veer on a little irritating especially when you know you'd you'd get cornered by like boyfriends of girls that you knew and like so what do you think about this new movie it's like well i'm gonna go see it man like are you trying to gotcha me into saying that i don't think girls should be in ghostbusters like Come on, that's so you don't think girls should be in Ghostbusters, huh? I, I, look, I always said if that was if if they if they must have made a third movie, which now they've made a third and a fourth movie, then that was the way to go. It was it was you know don't yeah. don't marry it too much to the icon the sterling iconography of one good movie and one sequel that has a pretty cool Bobby Brown song, and that's about it. Yeah, and like the issues that that movie had had nothing to do with the fact that it was a Ghostbusters yeah. movie starring four women like the 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 issues that movie had were irrelevant of that fact which was rad yeah i truly i truly don't understand it but the good thing is i don't really have to um no yeah everybody just sends brandon fish uh I fish mean, links but uh if if people had if people had fish news fish and more more jimmy buffett actually People had fish or Jimmy Buffett news to send to you. Where could they send it, Brandon? Uh, yeah, they could they could send whatever uh, Jimmy Buffett ephemera they might find uh, to at Hell Yes Brandon on all of the socials. Uh, no one ever needs to send me the article about Jimmy Buffett's uh, Margaritaville-themed retirement community because I know. <laughs> Already got the paperwork filled out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I get sent that thing about every six weeks. Absolutely not. I've got uh, some clips from Happy Sappy Grown Up Hour uh, on on YouTube of some of the songs I've done for that. Ink Blot is around. Uh, we might be stirring from a hibernation soon, um, and I uh, might have an EP of my own coming out soon. Uh, stay tuned for more information on that. Uh, six track album that might be dropping to your internet within the next couple months um beth what about you cool uh yeah you can find me all over the internet at b scores with an underscore after the s i've explained why before uh you can follow the show online at, at intuit pod on twitter and the hashtag intuit pod on instagram we are also on facebook if you are into that uh, and thank you as always to Kalen West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. Um, and man, if you want to follow my good, good cats, they're on, they're on Instagram at that Kentucky and Gill. I've never plugged them before, but I'm looking at this big old boy and he's so good. They're good cats. I love, I love seeing them. They're cats very good the cats. Oh yeah. They're, they're so good. Um, oh, uh, last, last plug from me, um, I'm soon going to be opening a, uh, we're calling it an expressway from Hollywood, uh, all the way down into, uh, Orange County, uh, which will be fast, uh, and efficient and affordable. It'll be so much better than taking the red line, even if it's only a nickel. Uh-huh. 
I don't think it's going to work, but I wish you the best of luck in that endeavor. <laughs> is it that just the five? <laughs> yeah, it's literally just the five. Like, that's the <laughs> twist of this movie is that Judge Doom invents the five and it's successful. Successful is a strong word for the five. That <laughs> That is fair. No, no one. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, 